So let me uh, share with you this morning uh, two passages from Scripture. Um, first from the Gospel of Matthew in the 16th chapter, and then um, from Paul's letter to the Romans in the 12th chapter. Uh, several weeks ago, uh, the Reverend Bridget Fiddler uh, preached on the 12th chapter of Romans. I hope you heard it. It was a wonderful sermon, and her children's message was great on transformation and how God is working with us at all times to be transformed. But I want to revisit that passage in light of what Jesus asked the disciples. The wonderful children's message that Alex just shared with us uh, comes from the 16th chapter of uh, John's Gospel. It's also told in the Gospel of Mark, where Jesus asked his disciples, well, what do the people say about me? Who do they say that I am? And then finally asks them, who do you say uh, that I am? I am is a, a very powerful phrase in uh, the Bible. In uh, the book of Exodus, especially, when Moses is in the uh, desert tending the uh, sheep of his uh, father-in-law, Jethro, um, one day he saw a bush that was burning and uh, was struck by the fact that not only was the bush burning, but that it didn't seem to be consumed by the fire. It wasn't becoming smaller, it continued to burn. And so he looked at the bush um, very closely, and um, a voice came to him and said, Take off your sandals, for you are standing um, on holy ground. And Moses asked the burning bush, Well, who are you? And the bush said, Well, I am the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm the God of your, your mother, um, Sarah, and Rachel. Uh, Rebecca. And then Moses said, yes, but what is your name? And the voice said um, in Hebrew, a word which cannot easily be translated into English, but essentially what the name means is I am. I am. I am who I am or in the immortal uh, telling of uh, the great 20th century uh, theologian Paul Tillich, I am the ground of being. I like to think that it's God is saying, I am beingness itself. All being, all life uh, comes from me. I am the ground of being. Now in the Gospels, uh, Jesus also says, I am many things, particularly in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door or the gate by which you come in. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am the vine and you are the branches. I am very powerful phrase uh, within the uh, Jewish mind of uh, Jesus' day because it's the claim of God. I am who I am that lies at the taproot of the entire traditions of Judaism. I am who I am, who is the God who will save Israel. And so when Jesus says, I am, people who heard him back in the first century inevitably heard the echoes from Exodus, I am. And here in this passage, he asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? Let's take a look again and see what happens. This story takes place 
in the midst of uh, Jesus uh, teaching in uh, the region of Galilee, and he's involved in some disputes um, with other religious teachers, Pharisees and Sadducees and others um, who are followers of God and are trying to help the people understand the presence and the, the power of God in their lives. And so Jesus uh, came in the seventh, 13th chapter of chapter 16. Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, and he asked his disciples, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? This is an interesting phrase. Uh, Jesus in the Gospels likes to refer to himself in the third person. He didn't say, who do people say that I am? He refers to himself as, who do the people say that the Son of Man is? The Son of Man is a shorthand uh, for one who is truly human, um, but also one who has come from heaven. The vision articulated in the uh, book of the prophet Daniel, about 300 years before Jesus' birth, this idea that a human being would descend from heaven on a cloud and would begin the advent of God's reign on earth that all of the trouble and headache and suffering of the world would come to an end as God's reign on earth would be fulfilled. And so when he says, who do the people say the Son of Man is? He's recapturing that sense of both the humanity, but also uh, the fact that he's on a divine um, uh, message. He is embodying a divine message. So who do the people say that the Son of Man is? And they replied, well, some say that you are John the Baptist, who earlier in the gospel had been beheaded so that John the Baptist had come back to life. But others say Elijah, the great prophet, expected to return at the Passover festival. Or others say that you are Jeremiah, or one of the other prophets. Then Jesus said to them, but who do you say that I am? Ego a me. I am. Ego a me. Simon Peter answered, well, you are the Messiah. That is to say, the person who's anointed by God for a special purpose. Messiah is often translated as Christ. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus answered him, blessed are you. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. You haven't come of this of your own accord. You haven't figured this out on your own. But my Father in heaven has revealed it to you. Jesus' identity, like Alex said, Jesus' identity is revealed to Peter and the other disciples because they are paying very close attention to what God is doing in Jesus' life. It's revealed to them in Jesus the fact that God is coming to them in this love of Jesus for them and for everybody they meet. It will deepen and increase, of course, as they continue on the journey and after Jesus is crucified and then raised from the dead. But you would see the, beginning under, the beginnings of the understanding of the disciples of the unique nature of Jesus from Nazareth. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, 
but my Father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, in the Greek, Petros, which means rock, or in the Aramaic, Kephas, transliterated into uh, the Aramaic as Cephas. Sometimes he's called Cephas. Blessed are you, Simon, son of Bajona, you are Peter now. I give you a name, Rock, Rocky. And on this rock, I will build my church. Remember the, the parable he told about a house that's built on shifting sand cannot stand? But a house built on the rock will stand. On this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. This is a favorite phrase in, in Matthew's gospel, the kingdom of heaven, which means the presence of God here and now. The kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That is to say, just as Jesus is loosening the law, amending it in light of the current circumstances, and also increasing the requirements of the law, not just to external behavior, but also to the matters of the heart and the consciousness. Whatever you bound will be bound. Whatever you loose will be loosed. And then he ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. Amen. Why did he tell the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah? Now, if you're online and you're on Facebook, there's that comment comments section. I'm going to wait here for a minute and see if anybody has an idea about why Jesus says to them, don't tell anyone that I am the Messiah. I'm going to wait for a little bit and keep uh, talking to see if you have some possible answers. This is like in the sanctuary when I walk around with a microphone, right? <laughs> First church live. Here we go. Why doesn't he want people to say that he's the Messiah? It seems to me that what Jesus is preaching is such a radical idea about a love of God which is absolutely level across the universe, that all people have equal access to the love of God, that every person is a person of worth and valued by God, that the dignity of each person is affirmed. The dignity of each person is celebrated. That he knows that the love of God will only be fully understood uh, when he, people see what happens to this particular person. Now, Lauren Denisco has a response here. She says, well, Jesus knows human nature. So if he tells them not to do something, then they will immediately do it. Well, that could very well be true. You know, if you tell somebody not to do something, very often you increase the likelihood that they will. You know, don't touch the stove. You're more likely to touch the stove. It's better to say, be careful, the stove might be hot, right? Uh, this is an interesting neuro-linguistic uh, answer for why uh, the brain doesn't really process negatives. But right, um, Oftentimes, when we tell somebody not to do something, is exactly when they do it. I'm sure that was, that was very true for me when I was a younger person. And even now, as an adult, if you tell me not to do something, 
eh, it's probably more likely that I will. But Jesus also understands, I think, that until the whole story is complete, those who are not fully acquainted with Jesus will be able to understand the nature of his identity, the one who was sent uh, by God. So if we answer the question who Jesus is and say, well, he's the Messiah and he is the son of the living God who shows and embodies in his life the love of God, what does that say about our identity as Christians? If Jesus is the one uh, whom we follow and if we're his disciples who are following him, uh, what does that tell us about our identity? And so from the uh, letter of Paul to the Romans in the 12th chapter, is wonderful understanding of this particular um, element in our ethical life. He spent the first 11 chapters of the uh, letter um, laying out his essential theology of salvation for all people, not for Jews alone, but for Gentiles as well, not for Gentiles alone and Jews are excluded, but rather for Jews and Gentiles, that is to say, anybody who's not Jewish, for everyone in the world, God is reaching out in love. And so he says in the 12th chapter, I appeal to you, therefore, my brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, H-O-L-Y, holy and acceptable to God, who is your spiritual worship. God is our spiritual worship, right? Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, not just your brains, but your minds, your, your sense of self, your, 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 who you really truly are. I am the unis that is you, the essential you, the true you by the transformation of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect, it says. Or perhaps it's more properly translated, what is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God, which is, of course, faithfulness and love and forgiveness. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think rather with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith which God has given to you. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we, who are many, now, one body in Christ, and individually, we are members of one another. Nobody loses their individual identity. You are who you are. That's good. God didn't create you and then say, ah, no, no, not so good. God said, this is good. You are good. You are beloved. You have a dignity which is your own. So be your own self. Don't try to be somebody else. Try to be your best self. But even though we maintain our individual identity, we are one in God. Our full expression of our identity ultimately comes. 
in our unity in Christ. So, Paul writes, we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, some in prophecy according in proportion to our faith, ministry in our ministering to each other, teacher in teaching, exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassion in cheerfulness. Now listen to this. Let your love be genuine. Let your love be genuine. Not a show. Not an act. Not pretending. But let your love really flow out of your inner being. Which is possible when we come to understand that we are the objects of God's love, that we are loved as individuals, that we are the object of God's desire. God wants nothing more than to have an open, loving relationship with each one of us. And then we can love genuinely. So let your love be genuine. Hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good, Love one another in mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Good heavens. <laughs> There's ever been a time when we've needed patience in suffering. It's been the last five, six months. The things are changing and coming at us with such rapidity that sometimes we think, how will it end? Will it end? But in fact, of course, it will. But we must be patient in our suffering because we persevere in our prayer. When the times are tough, it's not that the tough get going. When times are tough, we fall on our knees and pray to God for strength because we know that God is near to us as close as our next breath, reaching out to us in love to strengthen and empower and to show us a way that our love may truly be genuine. So contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to the strangers. So that we can pay attention in the way that John Lewis exhorted us to in his lifelong and in his last message, the epitaph that he wrote, on the eve of his own death, that we would pay attention to the world and see that which is wrong, see that which is not right, and rather being conformed to it, to go along so that we can get along, but we would pay attention to what is wrong, what needs to be fixed, and take action, and if need be, to create trouble, good trouble to undo that which is against God's will and love and law, God's purpose in the world. So that's why it's so important for us to understand who Jesus is, the Messiah of God who comes not to tell us everything is fine and hunky-dory, just leave it alone as it is, but to say to us, God loves you in a new and different way. And as God is sharing you this way, God is calling you to be among those who change the ways of the world, not to be conformed 
uh, to those evil ways, but to be transformed in our hearts, our minds, our spirits, our whole self, body and spirit and mind knit together in the great fellowship of God's love to create a different way of being. Who do you say that I am, said Jesus. When we say you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, we are saying, and we are the ones who will follow. Ego a me, I am a disciple. The one who sees the world as it is and works to make it right. Thanks be to God. Amen.